Welcome again to the Heads Up Podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with the former number eight, Roger Wilson, who had a career spanning from 2003 to 2017, in which he had two stints with Ulster Rugby and one stint with Northampton, where he played 117 times. He now lives in Texas and is involved in developing safe tackle practice for burgeoning American football players. Delighted to be joined by uh, Roger Wilson, formerly of Ulster, Northampton. Another stint back with Ulster, Ireland, Barbarians, World 15s. You've, you've kind of done it all from a, from a rugby point of view, Roger. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah, I've been around a while anyway. I wouldn't say I've quite done it all, but yeah, I've been, I've been around the block anyway, if you want to put it that way. Roger, just to get started, would you mind just giving me an overview of your career, you know, the clubs you played with, and I guess then the eventual uh, reasons for your retirement out of the game? Sure. I started off, coming out of school, I went to Trinity College for two years. After two years of a four-year course, then one of the Ulster guys got injured. Um, one of South Africans career in the injury a month into the season or into pre-season. So they basically offered me his contract. Uh, unfortunately, not his salary, but just his contract place. And then I transferred to go up to Queen's University. I started playing rugby, start, started with Belfast Harlequins. So basically played a season with them whilst being in the Ulster squad. Then... That was my first year with Ulster. Didn't play. Played with Belfast Harlequins, and after that, then got my first cap for Ulster. And then I think that was 2003. I spent, I think, seven years, six. No, 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 not even five. Five or six years with Ulster. Then four years with the Northampton, and then another five years back with Ulster again. So in total, anyway, it was 15 years professional, and then two years at university before that. Yeah, great career, uh, massive time span as well. And obviously now you're you're you went on, you got your um, your MSc in performance, and uh, now you're you're looking at tackle technique in American football as well. Yeah. Um, so whenever I retired uh, three years ago, just before I retired, that kind of last year, I spent started doing a, a master's in in performance science down at Satanta College just because something I was interested in at the time. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to get into, but I knew that was an area that I was interested in. So I did that over, I think it was an 18-month period, two-year period. Finished that up. And my wife, she's a U.S. citizen. We started uh, a young family at the time, and it was always our intention to move over to the States at some stage. Mm. We moved over two years ago pretty much to the day. Again, I, at that stage, I wasn't massively set on what I was going to do. It was going to be something high-performance based. It was just to uh, you know, come over here, see what there is, and hopefully try and find an avenue from that. But I ended up working then for a few months at high-performance facility in Texas, or just in North Dallas, uh, called Michael Johnson Performance. Obviously, the, the uh, ex-400-meter Olympic gold medalist, he, he ran the place, he owned it. So I did a, a stint there for three months, uh, which was great, and I got to meet a lot of athletes from from every different level, from Olympic medalists to you know school kids, basically. And one of the things I found interesting was whenever I was chatting to the American football players, whether that be high school, college, or, or NFL, you know, they are, they're always fascinated with rugby and how they basically think we're crazy. Like you know, we don't have any pads, but you know, we just uh, they they just think we're mad, you know. And we kind of compared a lot between the two sports and. The one thing that we talked probably most about was the tackling side of it. 
and I, I was always struck by the first time that I asked them how they were, how they actually tackled, what was their technique, or how were they taught to tackle. You know, from a, even at the moment, if they were in the NFL, but also whenever they were kind of growing up. And I mean, literally, they just didn't have a technique. They were just taught to run head on, almost leading with their head, get their head in the way as much as possible, which is like hmm. the complete opposite to obviously what we're taught as uh, young kids playing mini rugby. We're taught obviously to get our head in behind. They're taught as kids to get their head in front, hmm. which for me was like, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't really get my head around it, you know. and they're having, I mean, rugby has its issues with concussions, obviously. American football has had similar, if not bigger, issues at a larger scale with the, you know, the multi-million dollar lawsuits with the NFL and all that. So there's kind of an emphasis going on in American football. There has been for the last five years of trying to correct this and what they can do at the grassroots level in terms of the tackle technique. And that's why they're trying to bring in a lot more of a rugby emphasis, a rugby style of tackling. So basically, I was chatting to a lot of these people, a lot of the parents, and it was uh, a bit of a no-brainer that they said, "Listen, you should be setting up a company where you're coaching not just the not just the athletes, but also kind of trying to educate the coaches a bit more on how to do this and what your experiences have been of that." So it's been probably about a year and a half now that I've been involved with it, and it's it's been going. It's a bit of a kind of slow burning process, as you imagine. You know, you don't have the, the networks that you, you would have had back home here in Ireland, but. Uh, it, it's been great. It's just at the moment, you know, with everything going on, it's a bit, a bit slower than usual. But it's it's been a, a big learning curve and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, it's great to transfer the skills across, I guess. From from your own point of view, how was your body now injury-wise? Did you have any, you, you had 15 years professional rugby career behind you. How are you, how are you physically? Not too bad. Um, you know, there's one or two little niggles. Uh, I, I, occasionally my back would flare up. I would always have a, a, quite a stiff back generally. Um, I don't know what that comes from. You know, I had a dodgy hip at one stage. That doesn't really... Basically, anything that I... Any kind of niggles that I have, day-to-day basis, don't really bother me a whole pile unless I am training quite hard and, and then it sort of just flares it up. But if I'm managing them well, it's fine. You know, probably the worst one is uh, just a, my, my left shoulder's got pretty little mobility in it. Probably just from... Uh, I would have preferred to tackle on my left side and I preferred to carry leading with my left side so I imagine it's just a number of impacts over the years but yeah nothing nothing majorly serious nothing that really needs kind of looked into in terms of surgery or anything yet anyway but it's early days it's only been three years yeah from your own point of view did you experience say concussions undiagnosed or diagnosed during your your 15 year span again I was reasonably lucky you know I I kind of thought about this the other day what my concussion history has been um and I know it is a kind of grey area and, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, there's a, a misunderstanding of what a concussion actually is. I suppose the easiest way to kind of get this across is that I never I never had a situation where I was knocked out cold, where I was like fully unconscious. You know, you see that quite, quite often now, but that never happened to me in rugby anyway. There obviously would have been situations where... I mean, from my point of view, I, I always sort of categorize it into maybe three different areas of concussion. There's that, there's the extreme of getting knocked out, completely knocked out cold, where you, you don't know what's happening. Well, you're unconscious. There's then the kind of, you get a big bang to the head, your vision kind of goes, and that stays with you for a while. It doesn't go away. It's, you know, you, you can't really see properly, you can't really function all that well, but it's, it's not something that made you like lie down for a lot an extended period of time so you kind of got up straight away but you just you knew you weren't right 
and you either at that stage you either kind of tried to get on with it and, and just see it through and see how it passed or, or it was just no good and then there's a kind of there's the third stage that i would always say is you get a big impact to the head it rattles you for a second but then you're just fine after that do you know what i mean so you, you've kind of got those three stages and the first one, the most serious one, I never had the this, the kind of middle stage one where you lose uh, vision and, and your vision gets very blurry. That would have probably happened uh, probably a handful of times a season for me anyway. And then the third one, which you, you're just getting a big impact to the head, that's pretty regular, you know, and, and albeit it didn't really have any symptoms or anything at the time, you got to think back and I mean, you're talking, not just tackling, you know, tackling is probably one of the things which uh, leads to concussions the most, but even carrying a ball into contact, uh, hitting rocks, smashing in the malls, you're talking not just matches, but training as well. I mean, this is going to happen thousands and thousands and thousands of times. So it just, the, the, it, it'll add up over time, I guess. So the one, from doing all my research uh, over the past couple of years, some of the main concerns of the whole topic are not just the, the big concussions that people are getting, but the, the, the smaller ones which are just being repeated time and time and time again. So ultimately, I haven't been too badly affected. You know, I'm feeling fine as it is, but um, yeah, there would be plenty of kind of middle to minor uh, concussions that I would have uh, received anyway. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point around around the middle category that you're describing there, the, the kind of... Um, the accumulation of of those uh, subconcussive hits. You know, you said you had blurred vision. Did you? You know, was there ever a sense of how long did those symptoms persist uh, for that middle category that you're that you're describing? Generally, they probably would have gone on for at least half an hour, at least an hour, maybe. Um, which you know, if it's if it's something that happened, maybe with five, ten minutes to go or just before half time, it wouldn't have been an issue at all. But, I mean, I was only ever once, I think, uh, subbed through uh, HIA protocol. Um, and that's whenever I got kind of one of these style injuries at the beginning of a game against Munster. And I think it was only a few minutes in. And I, I got a bang to the head. I, can't, I think, I can't remember how it exactly happened, but I definitely my, my vision was going. I really kind of was struggling just, I was aware of everything that was going on around me, but I just couldn't really focus that well because of these kind of squiggly lines or whatever you want to call it in, in your vision. And the doc, the doc kind of knew he was kind of the same me. And, and I mean, this was kind of towards the end of my career where the, the, the protocol was a lot more stringent than it would have been at the beginning. So he basically said, listen, you've got to come off for an HIA. He, whenever he's doing the HIA, generally, I think it was fine with most of it, but just a bit of the vision stuff was going. And he just said, listen, we're going to, we're going to take you off here. This is, this is no good. And, and I was like, yeah, I, I kind of was at a stage where you adhere to everything, you know, you know, it's for your best interest. So frustrated a bit, but willing to go with it. But I think the most frustrating thing was whenever it came to halftime, I felt absolutely fine. Mm. Do you know, every, all, all the symptoms gone on my, vision to come back and I was thinking, geez, I felt like a fraudster at the time, you know, I was thinking that why am I, why have I been subbed here? So that was the only time I'd been subbed from, from HIA. Yeah, generally speaking, those sort of things would have dissipated within 30 minutes, an hour altogether, I suppose. Okay. Did you ever say from your own point of view, or even say with, with colleagues that you may have played with, did, did they ever experience any kind of long-term uh, symptoms from, from concussions, you know, stuff like you know, irrational moods or mood swings or emotional disruptions or sensitivity to, to light and to noise and all those kind of things? No, I didn't. 
person. I never had anything that would have, uh, and it kind of goes back to the point. I never, something like that, uh, like that day, for example, that I was substituted for that. Never, it didn't have any effect for me that later on that night at all. From what I heard, it's people who, who get the bigger concussions, the big, big impacts. They're the ones who, who, who struggle maybe for the next couple of days in terms of light sensitivity, sleep, mm. you know, uh, irrational behavior, whatever. But for me, none of that's ever happened. Okay. Um, uh, at least short term, long term, who knows? You know, it's pretty, pretty early yet, you know, but short term, I, I never had any issues with that. Do you think that if you, if you do experience a concussion, uh, on a regular basis, uh, or if you experience one, you may be more prone to experiencing subsequent concussions. A lot of the kind of literature you're reading, a lot of the stories you're hearing on that would suggest that. Yeah, from a personal point of view, I, I just I couldn't say that that's the case mm. for me. You know, I've, from from the research that I've done, from the limited research that I've done, I, I would say you're more susceptible, um, especially if it's within a shorter space of time. But again, I just don't know, and I think of that. I think even you know the top experts slowly kind of making sense of everything, and they're slowly finding new pieces of information. And it'll take a lot of research; it'll take time. And the more they do it, the more they'll find these things. But I think they, that would be the suggestion. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever um, see anybody get a concussion that wasn't directly to the head, some somewhere else in the body, or through some other type of mechanism? I have seen. Yeah, I've seen. Um, like you're talking like a, some where your head isn't impacted, where, for example, someone's tackled and it's shook their head. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen that. Yeah, plenty of uh, plenty of tackles. I mean, there was a guy who I used to dread coming up playing against in the Premiership. Chris Hellafay played number eight for London Irish, mm. and he just. I tell you, any time you played against them and he was playing, you would always, before you caught the ball, just have a quick look, see where he is, because you knew he was coming out of the woodwork somewhere to come flying in and smoke you. For him, for example, if he came in and hit you around the, the, the chest area or whatever it was, I mean, he, he ended up getting a lot of yellow cards just for the, the magnitude of the impact that he created in his tackling, albeit some of it probably was a little high. But yeah, no, I've seen plenty of people getting concussions from um, no, non-direct head impacts, so just people getting a huge hit to kind of around the midsection or, or, or maybe slightly higher. And that, and again, that probably just causing the, the kind of the head, the jolt and, and the brain ultimately to kind of rattle or mm. shake against the skull or whatever way you want to describe it. From, from your own point of view, did you ever, uh, or where are we now with the whole uh, discussion around the topic? Do you think we're gone, you know, very far to, to the right-hand side in terms of being overly, analytical about it are we somewhere in the middle or do you think there's there's a lot more room for for discussion i would say we probably we're, we're about right at the moment you know there's certainly is that need it's just one of those things you know you look back even at the beginning of my career concussion wasn't a big thing at all it wasn't something if it happened it happened you know you would deal with it, it wasn't something the media ever talked about the medics i mean nowadays you get talks from the the, the medical staff at clubs at the least you know, an in-depth one at the beginning of the season, maybe a few throughout the season about it, the protocol and what to do and this and that. Back then, it wasn't even discussed at all. So um, I think it's been raised correctly. I think the research is ongoing. I think we're doing it probably at the right pace. I think often the question is, you know, are we going overboard on these things? I don't think so. You know, new rules are brought in for player welfare. The initial reaction from players, and a lot of fans will be, you know, and even myself, whenever I was playing, whenever these new rules come in, it's like, come on, this game is just getting soft. That's my initial reaction. But 
whenever you kind of step back and see the way the game has gone since these rules have been introduced, has it become softer? No, it hasn't. It's, it's become the game's become even tougher because people are adapting to it, but they're still they're still getting bigger and stronger, you know, and the, the collisions are still getting bigger and stronger, but they're just getting technically more correct. And so the game's not getting softer. That's definitely not the case. So I, I think the, the kind of governing bodies are doing 100% the right thing and they should continue to do it. You know, I don't think they're going overboard at all. Ultimately, it's you don't, we don't want to be in a situation, you know, 20, 30 years down the line where the players who are currently playing, where the, 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 the impacts in the game are so big and the physicality is so big that 30 years down the line, loads of these players are going to end up with issues. That's that's the, the worst-case scenario, and I think that's why we need to be pretty proactive at the minute. Mm. Um, but also be sensible, you know, that the game is it's still a bloody tough game, mm. more than ever. What's, what's your own experience with on-field management in terms of identification and removal across the clubs you were with? Because obviously you, you played on both sides of, uh, of the pond. What's, what's your experience there? Directly, obviously, in terms of concussions and things like that. Yeah. No, it's been good. Um, it's been very good, actually. You know, I always, I mean, I'll, before I get on to the point, like, I'll always kind of compare it to what I've learned over here in, in terms of what they do with uh, American football. And I would I would say that rugby has been so much more proactive in, in what they do and, and all the protocols. And even if you look at the very top level, you watch NFL games and you see when a we can tell when a player's concussed. It's not that difficult, you know. Sometimes when they're taking a hit and they're stumbling, there's something wrong there, and it's pretty obvious that there's they're not right. And yeah, they go off for their pro- protocol, but if they're in a if they're in a position which is vital for the team, they're going to come back on again. Do you know, which mm. is uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't get in rugby, no matter how important you are, you're not coming back on again. Mm. So there's still that element in uh, American football where. It's a business and they just need to get on with it and they're probably not taking the player welfare serious enough. So I, that's where I think rugby is, is, is ahead of American football. But in terms of rugby itself and, and uh, what my experience is, they've been good. You know, I guess the last five, six years in particular of my career was whenever we really started to to hit home on the whole concussion and all, all this research and, and all the medical staff, the physios, the doctors, they were getting more proactive in terms of the information they were giving players, what they were going to do, protocol, what what this and that, what to do when you get a concussion, um, and it, it just seemed to it just seemed to work. I don't know if there's been anybody who's uh, I can't think of people who've had any issues with it. Mm. Sometimes you, you get the occasional coach uh, who's a little bit old school, and he has he will maybe have his few gripes about it, but ultimately I think they know that it's for the for the right. You know, they they want their best players available. They want their best players on the pitch. Um, but I don't think there's been much major debate to it at all, really. Uh, from my my experience, it's been it's been run very well. You alluded to it maybe a couple of times, but I guess I just wanted to ask you the the question directly. Do you think there's any long term health risks, you know, health risks or well being risks from experiencing uh, multiple concussions? The research would suggest there is. Yeah, I, the, the one thing in with CTE, chronic traumatic and um, Telepathy, have I got that right? Close enough. Like that. <laughs> In, anyway, uh, uh, repeated head impacts that can, I guess, kind of lead to these long-term issues, early onset dementia. Um, that The whole issue with CTE seems to be a lot more prevalent here in the States than it is back home uh, in the UK, Ireland, or, or the rest of Europe. And they really kind of do emphasize that 
it's not just concussions. It's or it's not just a, a serious concussion. It can be a mild, you know, head impact. But it's not just the one-off. It's the repeated day after day, week after week, year after year, mm. and that's what can lead up lead to kind of degenerative tissue in the brain and uh, the CTE. So I believe there is. It's real, of course. Mm. I, I do 100% believe it. Uh, how how serious an issue it is, and how much it affects different people, how, how it varies in terms of your genet- genetic makeup or, or anything like that. I, I just don't know, but I do believe it, it's an issue. From a personal point of view, time will tell. Like you know, at the moment, I, I feel fine. Mm. You know, um, I posted something recently about Matt Dawson, and he, he did a thing about his his um, the number of concussions that he would have received in his career back then. You probably you would have got away. You know, he was a, he was a you know, a chirpy little scrum half who people would love to hit, you know, and he probably did receive his fair share of hits uh, illegally, more so than you probably would have got, you would get away with now. But he's saying that he he definitely feels that he's affected his short-term memory hmm. from all this. Me personally, I, it's just hard to tell. I mean, my wife will tell me that I always forget things that she said, but then probably every husband in the world gets that, you know. But personally, I don't think I've been affected yet, you know, but... You know, I'm not I'm not 40 yet. You know, what's what's it going to be like whenever you're 50, 60, you know, but so far so good. But I, I do think it's an issue that people need to be aware of anyway and just kind of not get too kind of drawn into it. But it just just keep be, be aware of it, basically, and, and be aware that I, I think it's a real issue and it's something that should research should continue and, and this and that. What's your thoughts on, say, some of the protective gear? Um, so like scrum caps, gum shields. Do you think they reduce injury risk or do you think they have some kind of impact in reducing concussion risk for players? Well, it's they probably, in theory, do. Um, if you get the same, if you have an impact, which is, if you have two impacts, which are exactly the same, okay, and one's without any equipment, whether that be, you know, a shock-absorbing mouth guard, helmet, shoulder pads, whatever it is, you know, they've got these collars now as well, those things. I think there probably is. Um, it can help a little bit, whether that be fractionally, you know, I don't know. Mm. But the other the other thing about it is, and where I kind of have my concerns about all this technology advancement, and I kind of I relate back to a lot to, to what I've learned over here, um, the, the American football helmets, that they're constantly bringing out new ones and the ones that are going to be the, the saviour of your concussions and all this. What that creates then is, takes away from the, the technique of the actual collision itself, I think, that, and that's the real danger. That, And I think that's one of the reasons that the American football struggles with this whole thing is that they, because they have the helmets on, they believe that they're invincible and they don't need technique and they can just do whatever they want to do. And I think that's the issue. Ultimately, they have a helmet on and they can stick their head in front of the person that's tackling. And that's there's a, there's a, a version of American football over here you can find on YouTube where they don't wear helmets or anything like that and you can see straight away that they are so much more careful about the way they do things yeah they go hard at each other but they don't they, they don't tackle with their head in front they don't lead with their head like they would with a helmet so the bottom line is there equipment can be great but then it can also be kind of um, detrimental to technique and all that can go out the window as well it can give them that false sense of security gotcha from you know you you retired a couple of years now at this stage do you think there's any uh, law changes that could possibly be introduced to reduce injury risk or reduce concussion risk? I don't know. I mean, I mean, they've obviously introduced things over the last few years. You know, some of them, 
some of them are up for a lot of debate still. Uh, what they're doing, I guess, is to just try. They're trying to make the game safer. Some of them, I mean, the one the one that's kind of raises a lot of issues is the tackle height and lowering it beneath the chest, uh, whatever. Whether or not that's going to make a difference. I mean, people argue that if if you go lower, then you've got more chance of getting a knee in the head. And also, if, if a ball carrier knows someone's going to go lower, they're going to dip into contact and there might be more likelihood of a head impact. I think there's no there's no kind of uh, golden solution to, everything, to anything, but a lot of it's kind of just trial and error at this stage. Um, and I think it's 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 more about uh, creating the right messages than, uh, than looking for a solution. I think you look at the research that's been done and the stats on concussions in the tackle area, and from what I've seen in rugby, the, the concussions and tackling has gone down anyway. So from that, I would say that it's uh, it has worked. Some of it's some of it's worked better than others. Maybe some rules are better than others, but I don't think there's one thing that's really going to stand out there as being the game changer. I just think that uh, this, the, the overall emphasis of having these rule changes, having these uh, trials or whatever, just adds to the kind of culture that we need to make this game as safe as possible. It's never going to be safe. Like It's a dynamic game. Mm. Every tackle situation is different, but if you kind of have the emphasis that we are doing our best to make it safer, then it's going to have the, ultimately, it, it will be safer. From your from your experience as well, um, Roger, in terms of like club owners, do you think they can do anything in terms of the long term effects uh, of injury on retired players, or do you even think they've got a responsibility in that space? Uh, there probably should be some sort of responsibility. Yeah, you know they've got to take responsibility. I don't know if it's the clubs itself or would it be. Would it be kind of? Oh, maybe it's kind of the unions. I guess might have more uh, more of a say on this. Um, yeah, there should be. There should be. Uh, there should be a certain amount of money or whatever resources um, put towards. Uh, I think this is probably something that might crop up in the next ten years. But try and put money towards like a scheme which does help out players who are really struggling with not the, more more so like physical injuries. We're talking in this specific situation. Mm-hmm. And the, and the effects that it might have on ongoing uh, repeated head injuries. Yeah, I think there should be something in place. Maybe now more than than kind of wait for it to happen. But yeah, it's a, it's a good suggestion. I think the uh, in, in the NFL, I think the, the players' association is a lot stronger than the ones in rugby here than the, the Irish one or, or the the English one. I mean, they, the players have a lot more power than they than they do back home and back home with the rugby. So uh, I believe they've got a lot of kind of these, you know, investors in and backers to try and help the ex-players get through any difficulties they're having. So I do think it is that there is there should be an onus on that um, to some extent anyway. Roger, listen, just want to say, you know, huge thanks for, for your contribution um, today. Really, you know, re- really good insights from, from a very long, successful career in rugby. Wishing you the best with the with, with the business and, um, you know, just keep up the good work there in terms of educating people around tackle technique. Cheers. Uh, no, thanks very much for having me on.